0: Well, Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, I'm being a bit optimistic when I say happy, but you know what? What the heck? It's going to go one of two ways, and we don't know which way it's going to go. So I was talking. I was thinking about what I was going to talk about today, and the title of the talk is Go With the Flow. And, and I really like that title, and it reminds me of the 60s and 70s, when I was just a young lad, trying to figure out what the world was all about. And, and then I found Buddhism, and then I found a flow. And the flow is sort of this natural progression of things. In Buddhism, we call it a Nietzsche, which means impermanence. And there was this impermanence that continues to happen moment by moment. And most of us uh, aren't necessarily happy with the way things change, but we don't have much to say about it, but we do have a lot to do about it. And that means to me is that can I come to a place of acceptance with the way things are? And I know everybody says, well, you know, we we got to change it. we got to work really hard to change it and make it better. And if we all work together, it'll happen. And But then I'm thinking to myself, when in the history of this planet have we all worked together? <laughs> I, I don't think that's a viable option, but I think it's a pleasant thought and perhaps gives us hope in the future. But from a Buddhist perspective, we, we sort of like just to sit down and be aware. Now, when I say that, it's being aware of three very important philosophical concepts that we have in Buddhism. Number one, impermanence. That nothing lasts forever. Nothing lasts longer than a moment. And that's so frustrating. Just when you figure out how to get your computer just the way you like it, and then there's an upgrade. And you go, man. And sometimes you're really excited about the upgrade, but a lot of times the upgrade doesn't make it any better. It makes it more confusing, and, and, and you feel less secure now with the knowledge you have about your computer. So I am hesitant to upgrade but I don't have a choice, you know. I'm working with Windows 11 now. Mm-hmm. And and it's okay. It's okay. Windows 10 was okay too. And I'm just thinking, okay, well, you know, progress. So when I look at the world and I see how confusing it is for me I'm only talking about me, because some of you may have figured it out. But I'm looking at the world, and I'm going, you know what? It just doesn't seem like the same old world to me. And and then I thought back, like 20 years ago, and I thought, well, that didn't seem like the same old world either. And then I went back even further, another 20 years, you know? And that surely wasn't the same old world. And, and yet somehow, this, this idea of, a new year is going to be a year of hope, a year of change, a year of positive interaction with the world and the people and the animals in it. And and I like that. So, you know, I've often thought, well, maybe one day I'll stay up to midnight. Now I'm a bit to bed early, but, you know, I'll stay up to midnight and I'll see eleven fifty-nine and then I'll see twelve oh one and I'll look and see what's changed. And and basically the only thing that changed was my sleep pattern, because I'm still awake and waiting for something to happen. And you know what? It never does. It never happens. Now, I know we think stuff happens, but it really doesn't, it just changes it just morphs into something else for a while, and then it morphs into something else after that. The second concept of Buddhism, the very strong philosophical concept, is dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, suffering. That the world not only is filled with change and impermanence, but it's also filled with suffering and dissatisfaction. And, and I looked at the world and I thought to myself, yeah, You know, there are some wonderful moments of joy and happiness that occur. But then because of impermanence, those change. And then I'm disappointed with those change, and I try to cling and hold on to the stuff that's about to change. So it doesn't change, but I have nothing to hold on to, and no one to hold on to it. And it changes, and I'm dissatisfied, and I'm waiting for it to happen again. Unfortunately, everything only happens once, just once. Now you may think stuff happens twice or three times, but each time it happens, it's gonna be different thing because everything has changed within that moment. So to want to go back to normal, whatever the heck that means to you, is impossible. We can't even stay in normal, for a moment right now, because it's changing into something else. So what is normal gonna look like? Normal, I think, for me, will be when I feel comfortable with the change that is occurring. And I will call it the normal change. Okay, everything's changing in a normal way. I'm not gonna cling or hold on to or grasp. I know, I know. It'll be good. And then something happens, like pandemic. And I go, man, I didn't think about that. I didn't factor that into my change. Wow, caught me by surprise. Let's see, was it 1918, the last pandemic? Been a while. No wonder I wasn't thinking about it. And now what am I going to do about it? Well, you know, a lot of people had a lot of things to say about what to do. So, me being one who doesn't really take too many chances, because I'm of that age now where if you take too many chances, you're just going to die, you know, you know, and I get a few things I'd like to do before that happens. Now, I know death is part of my life. It's true, but I don't look at it as dying. I look at it as having to be reborn. Now how long will it be until i'm reborn again well if i take my vitamins do my exercise i might have a few more good years before i have to be reborn again very cool and will i find buddhism again in my next birth i hope so but no guarantees you know i could become a sikh next time (laughs) you know and feed people and make them suffer less because of generosity and kindness all sorts of ways to live in the world okay so now I'm looking at it. I'm going, okay, what's the first thing I should do? Ah, got it. I watch TV. TV tells me what to do. Get a vaccination. Okay, I got that. Is it going to hurt a lot? I don't think so. It's just a skinny little needle. It's not going to hurt much at all. Any side effects? No, not too many. But the, one of the side effects is you'll still be alive. <laughs> okay, that's cool. And then we have all the conspiracy theories. We have the political conspiracy. We have the medical conspiracy. We have the faith conspiracy. All these conspiracy theories. And I thought, you know, the conspiracy theory that I like the best is the conspiracy to keep us alive another year or two. And they're encouraging us to get vaccines. This is not a political statement. This is a medical statement and a personal statement. So, okay, so I got... I got j and J. I only had to get one shot. Cool. Okay. Booster time. Oh, man. Again? Yes, you need a booster because you're old and we don't want you to die. Okay. I'll go in. I'm in Vaughn's supermarket getting some cat food and some chocolate donuts. And I got my little cart. And there is the pharmacy right over there. And there's a big sign that says, get your booster vaccine today. I went up to the counter, do you have any openings? Oh yeah, there's nobody here? Sure, just go in that little room and give it to you right now. I thought, how convenient is that? So I got donuts, I got cat food, and I got a vaccination. All at Vons, (laughs) and the only thing I didn't have to pay for was the vaccination. Cool. So then I had two days of not feeling very good. I figured that's just the side effect of wanting to stay alive longer than another two days. <laughs> and it's fine now. And I see all these people resisting. You know, I'm going, why are they resisting? Because they look at it in a different way. And I go, okay, well there's there's 7 billion ways of looking at everything, you know, and I'm not here, you know, to preach to them. I'm just here to say I did my stuff and now I've got things to do before I'm being born again. And so, so far, so good. And then the third aspect of Buddhism, which is the most important and philosophical, is that none of us exists in the way we think we do. It's called, it's called anatta, or emptiness, or not-self, or non-self. So self is one of the gifts we received being born a human being. And I don't know if you've ever thought about being born as a human being as a gift, but how difficult was it for us to be born as a human being? In the entire universe, the only planet we're aware of that supports human life is this one. Man. All those planets and stars and comets and, and here we are. And then a man and a woman liked each other enough for whatever period of time it was, we got to show up. We were the byproduct of their love or maybe their lust, but we made it anyway. Okay, cool. Wow what are the chances and then they didn't know who we were going to be you know uh, you know a great scientist shoe salesman politician lawyer they didn't know they didn't know but they took care of us like we were kings and queens we were hungry they fed us we were thirsty they gave us fluids we needed to be changed they changed us wow And you know what? They never wanted us to say thank you. They just wanted us to be good people, productive people, citizens. I'm going, man, what a price to pay. And even when my mom was like in her 60s or 70s and I would go visit her, she'd say, okay, take out the trash. Okay, mom, I took out the trash. You were nothing ever more than their children. I don't care how old and gray and wrinkled your face was, you were still their kid. And they wanted you to do certain stuff. And when they passed away, it was a big loss to you because you remembered all the good times and all the bad times and all the selfless service they gave to you. Why? Because one day you showed up and they didn't know how to get rid of you. You were going to be with them for the rest of their life. And they accepted the challenge. Okay, so we've got these three concepts in permanence. We have, we have suffering, and we have not-self. And how can we come to a place of acceptance with all the stuff that's going on now? How can we find the flow? What is the flow? Well, it's like a river, and the river just keeps going down its banks, and you can never put your foot in the same river twice, and a Buddhist would say you never can put the same foot in the same river twice. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so now we got that. But how do we find the flow? How do, we, how do we recognize it? And how do we respond to it rather than react to it? Well, that's when a simple meditation practice comes into play, and it's called just sitting Okay, in, in the Japanese tradition, it's called shikintasa. And, and so you would take your position on the ground, whether it be cross-legged or straight-legged or in a chair, just some place that you're, you're comfortable enough to, to sit quietly for 10, 15 minutes. Okay, so there you are sitting, and then you would bring your attention to the tip of your nose and feel the sensation of breath, going out and coming in, going out and coming in. Just that sensation of breath going out and coming in. That sensation is always happening right now in the present moment. Every sensation always happens right now. And I don't know if you remember this from the old 1930s and 40s movies, but there would always be a point in some of the movies where they would say, pinch yourself to see it's real pinch yourself to see if it's real. And that that was the deal. You were bringing yourself to the present moment through the pinch to see if what you were experiencing was actually happening. Very cool. So here you are now sitting on the floor. Your breath is going and coming in. And now you want to create a false dichotomy. All dichotomies are false. So we'll get right to that. But you're going to create one that's going to be useful to you. It's a false dichotomy. You're going to separate the thinking from the thinker. The thinking from the thinker. I think, therefore, I am. It's true. But how about if the I am isn't doing the thinking, but rather observing, has this awareness. So we're going to create an awareness of thought that's not being thought create thinking that's not being created by a thinker. And we can do that because that's the mind's job. It's to think. It thinks all the time. People think, well, I'm going to meditate so I won't have to think anymore. Does not work that way. You're going to be even more aware of your thoughts rather than less aware of your thoughts. And you're going to see they're inconsistent Some of them are not connected to the one before or the one after. It's just this thought that happens. And then something else happens. And then in between this thought and that thought, there's a little space. And the space is silence. So we have thought, silence, thought, silence, thought, silence... And that silence is where the selfless observer resides waiting for the next thought. So imagine a a really long train, freight train, 100 cars, and every car has a door that's open. And you're sitting on the side of the train tracks and you're watching the train go by and you can see into each door just for a moment. And some... Train cars are empty, and some have hay, and some have cattle, and some have supplies, and some have this. And, some, and you're just looking. You're not saying, wow, that's really a great car. Look at what it's got inside. You just say, okay, okay, okay. So none of our thoughts really have much value as being better or worse. There are the value of kindness and unkind that come with the thoughts. But to have a really good thought, what does that mean? And to have a really bad thought, we have ideas what that might mean, but it doesn't really mean anything. So now we're sitting on the ground and we're waiting for the next thought to happen, and it doesn't take long, and we are hungry. We're thinking, you know what? McDonald's might be good today. You know? And they go, maybe a Big Mac with a chocolate shake, only about 2,000 calories. I could do that. And, and then that thought dies. You know, they always die. They always go away. And then you've got that moment of silence and then the next thought comes. No, maybe spare ribs today. Barbecue with potato salad. And then that thought dies. And then you go,
1: yeah,
0: maybe a salad with some saltine crackers. That thought takes longer to die. And that's probably what you're going to have for lunch. But then, but then there's a the thought of, I wonder if I should get some new tires for my car, which has nothing to do with the salad and the saltine crackers, but it's a valid thought, and you're just there, like, observing it. Okay, cool, cool. Now, are you going to run out and get the tires? Probably not, you know. Are you going to run out and get the salad and saltine crackers? Maybe later, when the hunger is, is, is more severe it doesn't inspire you into action. And that's the deal. So you're going to be responding to this stuff rather than reacting to this stuff. And that's where the meditation comes in. Can you make your life a response to the impermanence of the world? Okay, so there you are. You're sitting there. And now you understand from an internal perspective what you're dealing with. When you're dealing with this flow of impermanence and this attachment we have to certain concepts or feelings or sensations. But you also realize that you don't have to react or respond to any of them if you don't want to because you don't have to be the thoughts anymore. The thinker and the thoughts now have been separated just a bit and you can let the thoughts happen. And you can be the thinker, and you can see that nothing is necessarily going to change in a big way, one way or the other, if you don't react or respond. Okay, now, you're sitting quietly, the furnace doesn't work, and the house is on fire. That's probably a good thought to react to. (laughs) Now, you want to get the heck out of that house now, because... It's important, and you don't have time to reflect on the validity of the thought. Or should I or shouldn't I? The idea is you should, so get up and get out. Okay, that's cool. So we have those kind of thoughts too, those kind of circumstances, those kinds of situations. Now, let's apply this to the world. Let's apply it to all the impermanence we've seen. They got the traffic jams. Everybody's going to the mountains today to go snow skiing. I was listening to the radio. The cars are bumper to bumper. Take this route instead. It's going to be better. Okay, so you got that going on. Is that going to affect you in a negative way if you're not on that road going to? No, it's just it's just useless information to pass the time. Okay, cool. So. Can we take in all this useless information and not have to give it any kind of really personal value? Can we just go, interesting, interesting, interesting. We had a lot of rain. Okay. Now, some people might say, well, you know, it rained so hard that I couldn't do what I wanted to do that day. And it really made my day miserable. And I am so sad that we had so much rain, even though we have a drought, and every drop of water counts. And then you have the meditator. okay, The one who's been sitting and watching mind and seeing thoughts and not seeing a thinker. And then somebody says, it rained. And the meditator goes, yep. Sure did. That's it. That was all the response that was necessary for the meditator, for the person who's thoughtful and, and trying to discover where the thoughts come from and who's doing the thinking and if any of those are important or not. So as we look at the world and we see this happening and we see that happening and is this going to be good and is this going to be bad, we don't have to give a bunch of value judgments. We can simply observe with a certain level of awareness and then let it go. Make room for the next thought. And then let that go and make room for the next thought. And I find myself getting older. I'm 72 now. You know, really lucky to still be here. But I don't remember as much as I used to. And people say, doesn't that bother you? And I say, not at all. (laughs) I don't want to remember all that stuff. Some of the stuff was good. Some of the stuff was bad. But I got new stuff to think about. And I have future stuff to think about. But how about who you were? But I'm not that anymore. (laughs) Catherine and I were having a conversation about all the service I did, community service. You know, UCLA Medical Center, Central Juvenile Hall, men's prison in Lancaster, California, Garden Grove Police Department, just to name a few, and many schools talking to young people about Buddhism and meditation. That guy died. He's gone. I'm happy he was here. It gave me something to do for over 20 years. That's nice. I've got it on my website. I got like a legacy until the website goes down. And then, you know, then they're going to say, Kusla who? And I go, yeah, well, that's how it started. And that's how ultimately it will end. But in the middle, he pretended to be somebody. He did some stuff that might have made a, just a small difference in the world, but he was only one of the contributing factors in that difference. There were 999 other factors that needed to be there that were necessary for any kind of change to happen. So none of us can take credit for much except that one contributing factor. So Catherine said, well, you know, maybe you could do this. Maybe you could do that. I don't want to do it. I'm I'm tired. I've done that. I want to do other stuff. I want to sit in my room at the meditation center, not well dressed and smelling not so good, and work on my computer and interact with 20 or 30,000 people at one time. Wow! 20 years? You couldn't do that. You had to actually leave the meditation center, get in your car, go someplace talk to 50 people, and then come back and say, hey, that was a productive day I had. I talked to 50 people. You know, now I'm blessed to have over 20,000 people following me on Facebook. 20,000 people. And they're all my friends. Wow. And if I see somebody, or they see me, and they go, I'm your Facebook friend. I go, really? Good to see you in person. You know? But most of those 20,000, you'll never know who they are or how you've affected them. And if it's been good or bad, you know. But that's not the point. The point literally is to do something. What are you gonna do? And as I get older, I find I like sitting more and working less. And that's good. And then, in the afternoon, it's nap time. And generally speaking, one of the cats is with me and we curl up together and take our little nap in the afternoon and get ready for the evening. What a great life that is. Do you have a lot of stuff? Well, you know, I don't, but I don't need a lot of stuff. I I need a car that works, you know, I need to have some clothes to wear, need to have some food and some vitamins, get my vaccine. Most of this stuff is covered. It's cool, you know, and now I get to be creative with my life. Even in a pandemic, even when thousands of people are dying and tens of thousands are miserable, I can be creative in my life because I realize that I am creating the world around me. That I'm in charge of creating my world that I can make it positive or negative, and it has nothing to do with the world itself. I can have a good experience, and I can have a bad experience, and they both can come from the same experience. So I'm in charge. I'm in charge of how I experience my life. And people will want to help you experience your life in their way. And if you're lucky enough to be where I am, you can say, No, thank you. I appreciate your encouragement and your thought, but I'd rather experience my life my way. I'd rather have something to do every day than not have anything to do. I don't want to be somebody anymore. I'm working on being nobody. Now, why would you want to be nobody? Because nobody (laughs) dies well. (laughs) Somebody lives well, nobody dies well. And Ram Dass, one of my favorite teachers, would always say, the first half of your life, you're working on being somebody. That's your job, to be somebody. You go to school, you have parents that encourage you, you have peer groups, you have a career, you have bosses. Everybody says, you're the best, we need you to be this way, you can do it, you're so successful. And then you get to a certain age where you realize, you know, you don't need to be somebody anymore. You're really better off being nobody. And aging allows you to do that anyway. I find. I never thought that would be the case, but when I go and stand in line, I'm invisible. Because I'm the old guy. And Right behind me is the young girl or the young boy who's vibrant, vivacious. Can we help you? Oh, I. Can we hope? No. Okay. I see. I see. Whether I want to admit it or not, whether I want to be it or not, I am less important the older I get. And ultimately, I become invisible at a certain age. Okay. Is that a good thing? Yes. You know what that allows you to do? It allows you to have a certain level of freedom that you have never had before. You're free to be your non-self, whatever non-self means to you. And nobody's going to get in your way because they can't see you. And when you speak, they're deaf and they can't hear you. And even if you raise your hand and move it around, they still can't see that. You know, okay, thanks. So do I need to be somebody anymore? Only at certain times. But those times are getting shorter and shorter and less and less important. Do I need to be nobody? Yes. Do I need to be nobody in a world that seems to be on fire with greed and hatred and delusion? Yes. Because I can stand in the middle of that fire, greed, hatred, and delusion, and not be as affected as I would if I was somebody trying to change that, rather than somebody trying to accept that. So acceptance Leads to what? Doesn't lead to happiness. Doesn't lead to sadness. It leads to peace. Acceptance leads to peace. And if you have to choose between happiness and peace, I would say under 30, go for the happiness. Over 30, try out the peace. Because there's nothing more pleasant than having a peaceful day in not being affected by the turmoil, not being insensitive, not being indifferent, but having a certain level of spiritual equanimity. Spiritual equanimity. Go into those situations with perfect balance. There's no left, there's no right, there's no good, there's no bad. You're just there with this feeling of balance and kindness and compassion. And if called on, you will be of service. But you won't be of service to change anything other than one thing, according to Buddhism. And that would be the suffering. So you feed somebody, not because they're hungry. You feed somebody because they're suffering from their hunger. You give somebody a place to stay, not because they don't have a place to stay, but because they suffer because they don't have a place to stay. That's how a Buddhist would approach it. And that requires you to have a certain amount of equanimity, a certain amount of balance, not to get angry or mad or want justice. I know justice is a really important term. Buddhism doesn't want justice. Buddhism knows karma will take care of the situation and karma will never forget your zip code. <laughs> so that's the deal. Go with the flow. The flow of impermanence. The flow of good and bad. But don't buy into it. Don't be manipulated by it. Don't feel you have to react to it. Respond to it with Awareness, kindness, and compassion.